Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Lucy Nussbaum, Senior Research Analyst at CII. Today's episode will be discussing empirical research on ESG factors and engaged ownership. CII recently published a concise collection of research that identifies empirical studies connecting improved firm performance with three general categories, shareholder-friendly corporate governance, sustainability performance material to investors, and engaged ownership. Many investors already incorporate ESG factors to varying extents in their unique investment and stewardship strategies. And these kinds of studies may be helpful to validate and support these approaches. Today's special guest is Julie Gorty, the Senior Vice President of Sustainable Investing at Impex Asset Management. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Lucy. Good to be here. Great. So before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about how you engage with empirical research at your job? So I use empirical research a lot, both to test my own convictions and then alter them if necessary, and to investigate new possibilities for how to create value in portfolios. My objective is always to invest sustainably and create shareholder value at the same time, and that is very possible, despite what some of the dinosaurs of our world may think. The way you do that is more of a journey than a destination, just as getting competitive or better returns in any portfolio is an eternal work in progress. I don't think there's anything in finance that we can say is absolutely perfect. We're going to stop it right here and preserve it in amber and use it forever just as it is. Everything changes. The navigation is always protean, and that is why I go back to the empirical research. It's always a source of new ideas and a, and a way to alter your old ideas if they're not working anymore. I love the way you put that. And one of the reasons we thought it would be great to have you on this podcast is we saw the the emphasis you put on empirical research in many of your comment letters to regulators and lawmakers. Why do you think it is so important to have that evidence showing the connection between ESG and long-term value? Well, you just said it because the regulators and lawmakers, they're always doubters. Uh, And sometimes they have the power to change the rules in perverse ways, as we just saw. That recent rule that was proposed by the Department of Labor is a case in point. By making it impossible to include ESG funds in some retirement plans and more difficult in others, will create extra burdens and costs for investors and retirees. It doesn't recognize the wisdom of the market today, which does accept, for the most part, the fact that ESG can be and often is material. That rule that they propose rests on the assumption that ESG factors are not material to performance, and incorporating them raises fees or lowers performance or raises risks or all of the above. That's an antiquated belief. Um, Whether it ever was true, it definitely isn't true now. So while this was a prevalent idea in the 1990s and maybe even at the beginning of the 2000s, in the last 10 years in particular, Investors have quietly been changing their beliefs and their actions based on empirical research showing the materiality of ESG factors and the performance of companies and funds whose performance on various ESG scales is better or worse than their peers. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of studies um, that show that doing that ESG virtue of either writ large or small in terms of specific kinds of specific parameters is often associated correlated with better financial performance or at least competitive financial performance. So the the unwritten assumption in that DOL rule is exactly why I keep up with the empirical research because there's nothing 
you can't really change people's minds if you're just arguing belief to belief. If, but if you can put some facts up, then people with even a little bit of their mind open might be open to changing them. Yeah, and, and I know when I was looking at studies for our bibliography, I noticed that there are for so many different studies and, and so many different ways to approach these kinds of questions. And as an investor, you may be looking for one thing while companies and society at large may be interested in other measures. In your experience, how is academia taking on these questions and how should academics be thinking about the audience when developing this new work? So many of the questions that academics probe are useful and relevant for society and some are also useful to investors, not all of them. Let me give you a quick example for diversity. This is one where we recently had a, an interesting argument with some academics on this. There have been a lot of studies done on board diversity, and they're all over the map with respect to the relationship between board diversity and financial performance. Most academic studies obligatory, they have a literature review section up front in every academic paper that goes over the ground. <clears throat> and most of them point to the fact that there's no real consensus on whether board diversity is associated with better or worse performance. Um, but there are a few, especially now, especially now that we have this long history of studies looking at the relationship between board diversity and performance, that actually are looking at under what circumstances is board diversity more likely to be correlated with outperformance or underperformance. And that is a really useful flashlight to illuminate the murk of the body of literature. So once there's a sort of a substantial body, body of empirical research on something, it's almost never <laughs> all points in one direction. There are very few sort of truths that are actually self-evident in this world. So looking at why the differences exist or why different studies find different things is something that I think I wish more academics would do. I think that would that's a really useful strain of literature. I would also caution academics when they're wading into investment, if they're trying to contribute something to an investment debate like this, just because you can do a meta-analysis showing that there's very little performance associated with board diversity, for example, doesn't mean that investors should overlook all the financial research that does establish relationships. I understand the importance of peer review, and academic work always does have that advantage, or almost always, unless, they're, unless the paper is only out for peer review. And unlike most financial studies, which don't have peer review, but it also has the drawback that it might be focused on things that are essentially irrelevant for most investors. Like I've looked at a lot of the board diversity meta-analyses, and a lot of them have a lot of studies in them, sort of garbage in, garbage out category that talk about the correlation between board diversity and the performance of privately owned banks in Kenya or Kazakhstan, which is frankly, you know, from an investment standpoint, largely beside the point. What we care about are things that are happening in developed markets among publicly listed companies and so forth. And we will care more about studies that address universes that we are the sandboxes we do play in. So the investable universes than in just any study from any place on any kind of company. So there's a lot of virtue in academic studies that isn't for investors only. But if you're trying to contribute to an investment debate, I would caution or I can maybe advise academics to try to look at things that are investment relevant when they're doing their research. Just being peer reviewed doesn't have that qualification. A great answer and a good segue um, because you just men mentioned some ways that research can be improved. Do you think that there are other ways that the work that is being done in this area can be improved or done differently? Yeah, I do. But <laughs> I should caution the beginning at the beginning of this little 
paragraph I'm about to say to you that um, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Um, and this may well be one of those six impossible things before breakfast, but a lot of academic studies are very dated by the time they come out. It is not uncommon to see studies that are published in 2020 whose data sets stop in 2011 or 2012. The market changes all the time, and the more up-to-date the period being studied, it is, the more likely it is that the results will be useful in today's markets. I realize how hard that is. It takes time to clean a data set and to construct one, especially when you're working with data that aren't, you know, like what financial analysts have, which is required reporting that's always up-to-date. What we need really is Hermione Granger's time turner, but since we don't have it, I'll just note that anything that streamlines the process of research and reporting is good. So another obstacle that's often referred to is, is a lack of comparable data on ESG issues, which a lot of investors would like more of. And it can also make this lack of comparable data can also make things more complicated for researchers looking at these questions. How do you think the landscape of empirical research on these issues will change as more companies adopt standardized reporting of ESG factors? Well, it's definitely going to speed up the process of collecting data, which would really permit a lot more timely research to be done, just to the point I just made. Researchers often have to spend a whole lot of time creating a data set in a way that I term hand over hand or company by company. If we had access to complete current data sets on ESG issues, we'd be in the same catbird seat that financial analysts are now. We'd have timely data. Uh, those data might still need a bit of analysis to make them right, just like every CFA learns how to go through an income statement or a balance sheet and make adjustments for the places where the company wants you to believe a narrative that may not be completely, uh, they may not bear complete fidelity to reality, but it's better than having to generate each number digit by digit. So I'm all in favor of standardized mandatory ESG reporting. Great. I'm going to wrap up by circling back a little bit. As you mentioned earlier, with the recent Department of Labor proposal, it seems that there is a growing, there's growing skepticism about the value of ESG and in investments. How can investors, academics, and stakeholders more broadly work together to better make the case for and document the existence of the connection between ESG and firm value? So it's interesting, the, the Department of Labor seems to indicate that there is growing skepticism. I would say it's exactly the opposite. There is growing skepticism in the market that ESG data are costly distractions and much greater consensus that ESG factors are material and worth including in financial analysis. Now, that said, not every single piece of ESG data is material to every company all the time, but that is also true of every number in every financial report. It's not necessarily on its own material to that company or any other company all the time. But overall, ESG data are material and we need to use them and more and more financial analysts are doing that, whether they call their funds ESG or sustainability or not. By calling them non-pecuniary, the DOL is asserting, without evidence I might add, that these things bear no relationship to money. So that would include things like BP's oil spill, which cost about a third of its market cap, or BW's emissions cheating scandal or Wells Fargo's customer account scandal, all of those are very ESG and all of them had major implications for corporate financial performance. So, so to say that that stuff is non-pecuniary is just to, I'm not sure what kind of blinders you have to have, but they are big in order to think that. So read the comments um, to the DOL on its proposed rule. The vast majority of all the commenters from asset managers, asset owners, investment advisors, 
and other financial professionals are opposed to the rule. And there were 1,500 comments. I'm not sure how many of them were from financial professionals, but an awful lot of them. And almost all of them were opposed to the rule. And most of them um, have really have cite really good reasons for that opposition. In contrast, many of the letters in favor of the rule give no reason for favoring it or cite a reason that makes no sense. I mean, having read many of them, I can say there are dozens that basically say, I don't, I like this rule because I don't want to invest in China, which is a really interesting thing to say because if you read that rule carefully, if they implement that rule, having a fund that re decides not to invest in China because you don't like China would be much harder to do. So I'm not sure where those commenters were coming from, but it wasn't the world of facts. Most financial professionals believe that ESG is material, something that needs to be included in something we call efficient market hypothesis using all the information available to us. That's a great idea. I really second your suggestion to look at some comment letters. Um, for members who also want to see the kinds of studies we've been discussing, I encourage you to take a look at CII's empirical research bibliography, um, which can be found on our website. So with that, I conclude our podcast today. Thank you so much, Julie, for joining us and discussing these important issues. And thank you all for listening in to this installment of the CII podcast series. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.